You only have so much time. And you have a big assignment. I want the entire world to hear the gospel in my generation. I want every person on this planet to be saved. We open God's Word today together to be subject to it, to be taught by it, to be instructed. Let's go. What you're saying right now is, how did we get here? Well, because people do not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and ultimately that's where it is. Yep. Being Reformed is more than just affirming the five solas. It's more than just affirming Tulip. No one is outside the reach of Christ and His blood. If we are truly Reformed, there should be a sanctification, a desire to be sanctified by Christ, by holding onto as tight as we can the one who makes us white as snow. You can no more born yourself again than you born yourself the first time. Just so that you guys don't think we're just pulling stuff out of our cans here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is, well, a matter of theology. My name is Chris. I am one of your hosts. I am joined by my co-host, my brother, my battle bro, my good friend, Mr. Drew Von Nita. Matter of Theology is a podcast production where we address church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. And our desire is to bring biblical truths, regardless of what the popular movements or manipulators of the day may teach, yell, rant, rave, make vague generalizations about from the pulpit, you know, that kind of stuff. So on behalf of my brother and my friend, thank you so much for tuning in. And well, before you kick us off, man, this is the only way to do it. Nice. Had to crack a zoe, man. Had to crack a zoe. How you doing, bro? Yeah. Man, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm tired. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Yes, you are. Yes, you are, man. You have, um, you've had a day. You've had a week. I've had a day. You've had a season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so man. the only thing, the only thing that would make that the sound of a Zoa cracking open better is if it were a bang, a pina colada bang. <laughs> That's about it. Man, I can't drink bang anymore, man. I, I get the, I get the jitters real bad and crash after I have them now. So yeah, just because. Yeah, this is just because they're made for men. So. Ah, that's what it is. Okay, cool. Yeah. My bad. My yeah. bad. I mean, yeah. bro, you remember what happened uh, at the cruciform conference when I had one? I, I crashed. Hard. Well, that was also because I got I had some bad chicken nuggets too. So, <laughs> yeah. But you're not supposed to crash because there's like no sugar or, any, or bad stuff in it. Uh, after after drinking Zoa for so long, like going back to bang, like you can taste the chemicals. Like it just it's it's uh, crazy. Well, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> like you said, they're made for uh, men, I guess. Yeah. So. Bro, well, on the on today's episode, uh, matter of theology, we're going to be taking a look uh, into the issue of language. Um, no, we're not talking about biblical languages or tongues, but the language that we use. Now, if I may, I want to start at, at here. Neither Drew or myself, we, we we are not what some would call fuddy duddies. Okay, um, I know there are. Some out there who would maybe see the graphic for the episode. Yes, that is Mark Driscoll. 
uh, or or hear of a podcast with a name like Matter of Theology talking about language and and all sorts of opinions will start to form. Some would call us prudes, which to be honest is okay with me if what you mean is the biblical definition of being prudent. In fact, brother, I did this actually just a few minutes ago. If you look up the word prude in the thesaurus, the first word that pops up is Puritan. So um, if that's what you mean, then thank you. <laughs> if <laughs> we, we, we graciously accept. Um, if you mean that Drew or, or, or I are, are a couple of Debbie Downers who never laugh, smile, tell a good joke, have a good time, this could not be further from the truth. We enjoy life. We have fun. Uh, we enjoy all the graces of living each and every day um, with the lives that the Lord has blessed us with. Um, Along the same lines, I think it must be said as well, in full transparency, um, this is something most professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ wrestle with at, at times, myself included. Um, God in his perfect wisdom and, and foreknowledge knew this, which is why the scriptures are painfully clear in regards to how we should speak and the language we should use. So we're not coming at this from a place where we're sitting here high and mighty on our thrones because we have it all figured out, quote unquote. But honestly, from a place of having the living word of God lay us bare when it comes to the ways that we should be mortifying the sin in our lives as well. In full transparency, this is one of the most convicting uh, prep times I've ever had for one of our episodes. One of, there there have been others as well. Um, And so I just want to say that. Um, Now, at the outset, today, unfortunately, there are many inside professing evangelicalism who seem to be sinfully loose when it comes to the language they use. And they do so citing quote unquote Christian liberty or using descriptive stories from scripture to justify themselves and or any other excuse to justify using carnal, crass, or filthy language. What's sad and frustrating for me are the leaders who are doing it. There are pastors who are using profanity to, to, to joke around or for shock value from the pulpit. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. They're making crass jokes about someone's name. They're talking about how something made them feel sexually or exploding in a fit of rage using filthy language because they could not temper their emotions. And these are just a few of the examples I've personally heard with my own two ears in the recent past. The tongue. Um, And the language we use and the way we use it is both a mirror and a window straight into our hearts, exposing what is truly there. When it comes to the issue of bridling our tongue, when it comes to the issue of language, the language we use, short and simple, it all comes down to holiness. Holy thinking will lead to holy living and living in, in such a way that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in all we think, say, and do. So, brother, what what are some of uh, some of your opening thoughts, man? Well, uh, well, there's a couple things. First, you know, when you were talking about, you know, some may call us fuddy duddies or uh, prudes yeah. and whatnot. Um, it, it, I'm, my first reaction is, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much same. My, my my second reaction is. Well, if you know me at all, you wouldn't be able to say that. Right. Uh, Because uh, I'm a guy who I do like to have a cigar once in a while. Um, I do like to have a drink once in a while. Uh, 
Um, I do uh, sometimes, and you know, because I like to be honest, sometimes my tongue is not tamed, you know, and um, but but I don't I don't use the gospel or Christian liberty as an excuse to glorify those things to mm-hmm. say, well, then I can because Christ, therefore I can speak however I want and just let curse words fly off of, off of my tongue. Um, and, you know, and going into when you were talking about, um, uh, people who, who are sinfully loose and especially pastors, right. You know, it's not just in language though. It is in things like drinking, um, oh, sure. And how they live because they, it's almost like they view the gospel as what purchased their right to drink and speak loosely. Right. So, so they, people will say, well, uh, it, because of Christian liberty, I can therefore drink. And they may not get drunk because they know that's a sin, but they may get tipsy, which is on the verge of drunkenness, right? To where, you know, uh, <clears throat> tipsy is not far from drunk to where you act uh, loosely. Uh, the, some of the times where my language has the most flying off, flown off the rails is in those moments. Right. Um, and so mm. that's why, you know, and that's why, like, you, you know, yes, do I have a drink every now and then? Yeah. But I also make sure that, one, I know my limit. Uh, and but because I'm German of German descent, it's a big limit, <laughs> but I never I don't reach anywhere close to that. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, right, I right. may have one uh, and, and I only have one here and there, like maybe one every few couple of months. So right. I know this is about language and we're touching on drinking and things like that. But let me just put into perspective. Two years ago for my first Father's Day, I bought myself a gift of uh, a bottle of Macallan scotch right and only now two years later am i is it just halfway finished right (laughs) because that's that's how often i i indulge in that now now my my speech more often flies off the rails because uh uh it's and those are the moments i can tell when i'm not focusing on god right say so work is is a little crazy someone made me mad my focus has left God and it's focused on the situation right. and to where now I react carnally and I react in the flesh and I'm not actually reacting as though Christ indwells me and I'm, oh, and, and I'm living by the Holy spirit. Um, so, but, but what we cannot do, what we cannot do as Christians is say, oh, you MacArthur guys, you know, you're just, <laughs> You guys are just, you, you know, you can't, it, 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 Christian liberty, you know, I, it's okay. You know, I'm saved right. in Christ and relax, right. you know, yeah. things yeah. like that. Well, no, yeah. I, I don't want to relax because, because every time, every time, even, even the slightest uh, profane thing comes out of my mouth, my heart is convicted. Because I know that's not how the Christian lives. And so let me, you talked about, you you talked about uh, the tongue and we are to bridle the tongue. Let me tell you what Thomas Watson says. All right. Let me get into what one of these dead guys says. 
Okay. Hashtag, Hashtag. De- dead guy reader society. Okay. <clears throat> this is what Thomas Watson says in his book, uh, the great gain of godliness. Great he book. says this, he says, the body is the temple of God. And he's referencing first Corinthians six nineteen. Mm-hmm. The body is the temple of God. The tongue is the organ in this temple, meaning that which plays the music, right? The organ, mm-hmm. uh, the tongue is the organ in this temple, which sounds in holy discourse. Come on. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Thomas Watson. Yeah, and well, who says we who says we can't learn from dead guys because they, they can't don't argue, argue with us? Yeah. Yeah. That argues with me. Because that says yeah. that, that says, Drew, your tongue is to be it, it, in, in the body where the whole, that is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the tongue is to be the organ which which declares and plays the musical discourse of God. That's and right. every oh, time, every on, time, every time I speak profanely or against that, or I try to even justify coarse language, coarse joking, things like that, I then defile the temple the holy temple and in turn blaspheme the holy spirit amen brother wow wow um that was good go back and listen to that again um and and some of our social media posts we're gonna post i'm gonna have to because uh, i don't have any notes bro, so. <laughs> bro that, was, that was great man. that was great and you're gonna hear you're gonna hear a lot more from thomas watson as we proceed so brother thank you for that um mm-hmm. Well, in, in, in laying some foundation, and this, this, this goes right along with what you were saying, um, and in laying some foundation from what I said at the beginning, from what you just said, I, I want to turn our attention to something immensely crucial in and through the, each of our lives, okay? One of the most important things we can do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to scour the scriptures in order to know who our God is. We are to pour over the living and active word of God to learn as much about him as we can. It has been well said throughout church history that the word of God is a window. It is a window for us to peer into so that we can know who our God is and how we may know him. Very important. It is a window that allows that allows the brilliant radiance of the glory of God to shine through. It is a window for us to see the will of God the Father, the completed works of God the Son, and the application of those works by God the Holy Spirit. However, there is a second use of the scriptures that many professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today seem to ignore, and that is this. The word of God is a mirror. It is a mirror that exposes and incites sin. It is a mirror that shows us our depraved and futile state before a holy God. And after the Holy Spirit effectually applies the completed work of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to us uh, and performs that spiritual heart surgery, the living and active word of God continues to be a mirror. It does so by illuminating to us the sin that we have in our lives and the sin that we need to go to war with as scripture states, it does so by laying us bare Hebrews four twelve. for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, that's Hebrews four twelve. The Puritan that, that Drew just quoted, or should I say Prude, 
Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Thomas Watson, he said this in his magnificent work, A Body of Divinity, concerning the Word of God. He said this, quote, it being the Word of God has changed their hearts. Some by reading scripture have turned into other men. They have been made holy and gracious. By reading other books, the heart may be warmed, but by reading this book, it is transformed, period, close quote. So going back to Hebrews 4.12, if I were you, when you get some time, dig deeper into into that passage, open up that sentence penned by the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures lay us bare. The scriptures expose us, um, even as the elect, even as believers possessing faith in Christ. The scriptures expose us before a holy God and show us who we are. There's no point, speaking of arguing, there's no point in arguing with scripture. You don't do that. It argues with you. Now, we who are in Christ, those who have very clearly had their lives transformed from death to life, we should be growing in our theological knowledge. We should have a healthy desire to study the living and active uh, word of the living God. Um, and we should do, do so for those very reasons I said a moment ago, to know him, to be known by him, and to know how we should be living in this world for him. We should be gazing hard into the window in the mirror that is the word of God and conforming our lives around it. Now, the gaining of theological knowledge, uh, in other words, the, the, the discipline of purposeful instruction, it should contribute to an elevation of holy living and conformity more and more into the image of Christ. To gain and possess theological knowledge, again, the discipline of purposeful instruction, while continuing to live like the world, makes us a hypocrite and brings a reproach upon the name of God. May I remind all of us, myself included, that living in this way, professing Christ, but possessing the world is doing precisely what James, the brother of our Lord stated in the first chapter of his epistle, we're just mere hearers. We're not doers. What you got, man? Um, no, I'm glad you went to, uh, I'm glad you went to James because that's actually where I turned to. Nice. Um, and, but, but, you know, going along that line, just continuing along there. Uh, when James talks about not just, not just being hearers, but doers, right. And you mentioned the word being a mirror. Well, James continues and says, you're like one who looks in a mirror and then leaves and then forgets what he looks like. Yes, sir. But, but then he continues on in verse 26, talking about the tongue specifically. And he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that man's religion is worthless. That's so, right. So if you are a person that does not seek and strive to bridle your tongue, but you're claiming to be, let's say a spokesman, a messenger for the word of God. Oh yeah, we're going to get into that. And and going <laughs> back to, hold on, let's let, let's go back where... Uh, Staying in James, uh, where he talks about no, yeah, I'm gonna go there, but there's another place. uh, Well, don't go there yet, (laughs) because we're gonna go there. It's no, it's still in it's still in chapter one, verse twenty one. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness Mm -hmm. and all that remains of wickedness, okay, bridle your tongue, lest your your 
your religion, what you proclaim to believe, be viewed as worthless in the sight of God, especially if you are a messenger of God and you are to put away filthiness. Yeah. Coarse joking, coarse language, because when, and I'll let you, I'll let you take it there because yes, chapter three of James, let not many of you become teachers. Mm -hmm. And then that's how he starts chapter three. And then from chapter three, the rest of there, he begins to talk about the tongue. Yeah. 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 We're going to, we're going to open that up um, a little bit later. Um, uh, definitely brother, good stuff, man. That is so good. And I'm glad you pointed that out, uh, verse 21 and in verse 26 in James brother, that's so good. Um, so here's where I want to start. Um, oh, no, wait, 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 ooh, because, go ahead. <laughs> this is fun because, because, you know, people may call us prude and the first def- first definition of prude was, uh, Puritan, Puritan. Hold on. verse 27 of James one pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and father is this to visit orphans and widows and in distress and keep oneself unstained by the work, by the world. So not just, not just doing the things, you know, like visiting orphans and widows and taking care of them, but also putting off the things of this world. That's it. That's it. But, but people, and that's the thing, what, because we've seen, and Daryl, I think, I think it was Daryl that made a, a tweet today that I saw. It was, it was more in line with, with BLM, but it was about BLM and pragmatism, right? Yep. And so, but, but I, I kind of want to take that idea and move it into preachers today, preachers attempting to reach the world by using pragmatism and using the language of the world in order to try to draw people in. Amen. Yep. 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 And save that save that for shortly. Um, so l- let's take a look at what the scriptures specifically teach concerning how professing believers should approach the matter of the language we use. Um, and, and it comes down, I said it earlier, you, you just said it as well. It comes down to holy living. It comes down to walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in Ephesians 4.1, Philippians 1.27. When we profess Christ, but continue to act like the world, it profanes the very name of our thrice holy triune God, the gospel and his word, period. Mm -hmm. Phil Johnson, uh, who's the executive director at Grace to You, uh, he said this in his sermon uh, from the Shepherds Conference in 2009, and and this sermon is entitled Sound Words, Sound Doctrine. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the sermon because it's one that every believer, especially pastors, need to listen to and be very familiar with. But he said this in that sermon, quote, you may verbally affirm the finest confession of faith ever written, but if your words and deeds deny it, Paul would have affirmed you as an authentic, he would not have affirmed you as an authentic Christian at all, period, close quote. And, and, and we're going to be coming back to that sermon later, by the way, um, because it is specifically geared, geared towards pastors. Um, so let's look at what the scriptures say. Okay. Let's look at both the positive and the negative, and we can find it in one sentence found in the letter written to the, to the, to the Ephesians written by the apostle Paul. Um, and, uh, of course I will be reading this from the preferred and in my opinion, best English translation out there, the legacy standard Bible. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, I think it's identical to what the NASB has. Um, but Ephesians four and verse 29 says this. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4.29. So I want to, we're going to look at the negative first. That's what we're going to do. I want to look at the negative. What should we not be saying? So Paul starts out here by saying, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And in this verse, by the way, I want to draw this out. Um, I, I want to, and so often today, we as believers, we do not mind the well that, that is the scriptures as we should. We, we should be meditating on it, diving into the original languages and stopping to think, to think about what the Lord is saying to us. So Paul says, let no, let, let no unwholesome word, absolutely forbid absolutely none stop sign red light shut your mouth bite your tongue do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth now unwholesome is sapros in the greek it literally means rotten putrefied no longer fit for anything worthless unpure corrupted to the nth degree and our Lord uh, Jesus, he actually uses this in, in Matthew's, uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 7 and 12 and Luke chapter 6 when speaking about the fruit that one would bear and how that fruit is indicative of the tree and the soil the tree is planted in. Dr. John MacArthur puts it this way, quote, there is no truer indication of a bad tree than the bad fruit of speech, period, close quote. Speaking of Matthew 12, let's take a brief detour there um, and then to the gospel of Mark. And then we're going to come back to Ephesians. Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak what is good for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart? The good man brings out of out his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's 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 our Lord speaking. That's Jesus speaking in Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37. So where do these unwholesome words come from? From from where do they proceed and why? Well, our our Lord Jesus highlighted this in in the gospel of Mark. The Pharisees and scribes, they, they had gathered around and they pointed out that the disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands, according to the tradition of the elders. And so in chapter seven, starting in verse 18, Jesus says this, or the word of God says this, and he said to them, are you lacking understanding in this way as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, cannot make him unclean, cannot profane him? Verse 19, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and goes into the sewer. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And and he was saying that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles man from within. Listen to this from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. 
All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So brothers and sisters, the language we use is a fruit and it exposes what kind of tree we are and how healthy of a tree we are and what kind of soil we are planted in. And what comes out that, whatever comes out, that exposes the defilement within. This is one of the many reasons that the word of God gives us this admonishment in in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. What you got, man? Mm. No, that's good. Um, the, the speech that you use is a direct revealing of what is in your heart. <clears throat> and so, yeah. but, but also let me add, the speech that you plan on using Ooh. is an even more revealing of what is in your heart, right? So if I'm doing a sermon series on, say, like uh, the Song of Solomon, and in my sermon, I intentionally plan to use coarse jokes, mm-hmm. um, imagery that is that is not um, tactful. Um, if I'm referencing in any way my wife or you know things that <laughs> that we may do, bro. Uh, that is, that's a defilement of the pulpit and of the word of God. Yes. Uh, Because those are things that the saints don't need to hear. Amen. If, if, if I'm going through, through Paul and he comes to the term rubbish and he uses the term scubalon and I misinterpret that Mm -hmm. as a, as a curse word. Yep. Right. Um, but in my but but to the people i say something to the effect of i really want to say it well then at that point you might as well go ahead and say it because right. you've already you you've already resolved in your heart that you want to say it and why not if paul uses it and it's the word of god go ahead and and say it right if there's if there's nothing wrong the now the problem with that is the conviction is you know it's wrong right. therefore you shouldn't say it absolutely <laughs> um but even if you've resolved that you want to say it, then you might as well because you've already given into that temptation. Or if you're at a conference, a Christian conference, and you're talking about BLM and you're using the Old Testament prophets as your example, and you use coarse language and profanity. And spend 10 minutes justifying your use of it just to say it. Right. Yeah. Um you, you, you know, you've, you, I, I'm sorry, but you have sinned, um, yes. you know, because there's no need, there's no need for things like that. That's right. You know, no. and, and, and I just want to say going to the old Testament prophets and saying, well, they did it like this. Okay. That's, that's, you're taking a descriptive text and trying to make it prescriptive. Okay, because we have prescriptive texts that we have just went over that say, don't do that. Specifically, don't do that. So now the Bible is clear in that it doesn't whitewash the sins of people. That's right. And what we see is that God actually uses sinful men. And though they may act sinfully in certain ways, 
God still uses them, right? Because I'm not gonna gonna go and sleep with someone's wife and then have her husband murdered and say, well, David did it, you know. <laughs> Therefore, you know, it's in the Bible. But no, because Thomas David Watson. Also- <laughs> he, Thomas Watson yeah. talks about that in the Scripture's defense of itself. And showing that the scriptures have to be the word of God because the scriptures don't whitewash the sins of the people that we see in the word of God. Right, right. So just because someone in scripture does sin and God uses them in spite of their sin does not give me justification to therefore go and sin and say, well, the prophets did it and the Old Testament did it. Okay, so what? The word of God is clear and it says, do not do these things. Right. Just Just because because they did it, you can't ignore the clear commands of to not do it. Right. Right. And then, and then, but then there's also another argument that goes through the Proverbs that says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. But then the, 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 the following verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. So some people will say, if they're using profane language, they'll respond with profane language. Okay. That's not what that means. That means don't answer him in a way that, that appeals to his argument you're supposed you're not supposed to argue in the way that he's arguing and but then when you answer him according to his folly it's to show him that he is a fool yeah well you know what's funny about you saying that and i i have this quote that i was i didn't know where to put it honestly i because there's a very specific place i'm going to get to here in a, in a few minutes but but i think i think it fits wonderfully here my friend dr owen strand he's the the provost and, and research professor of theology at grace baptist theological seminary and he's the host of the antithesis podcast which is also on the bar network he said this on a social media post on february 15 2022 he said quote the sentence, unbelievers totally think we're conservative Christians, so we must be, close quote, uh, or any such variation is a tell, a deeply troubling one. Where on earth would you get such an idea as a professing believer? You should never bring offense to the gospel in the eyes of the world by immoral behavior. That stated, unbelievers and their unbelieving opinions are never your standard, Christian. God's word is, stop following any man who would say un- such unsound things. If you get somebody that's this that, that that is is using foul language, that doesn't give you permission to do so. It doesn't give you right. permission to to profane the gospel because you are supposed to be Christ's ambassador to that person. Absolutely not. That is not at all what you are supposed to do. And I've heard some people say, "Well, we're supposed to be all things to all people that we may win more." Uh, that does not mean violating the standard of holiness and righteous living that is clearly set apart in God's word. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go minister to the stripper by going to a strip club. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, that, and that's almost, that's almost the reasoning that they want to take. If you take it to a logical, it's logical conclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we got it. We also got to reach people where they are. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Which means going to where they're, uh, no, sorry. No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> So that's good stuff, brother. Um, now, in, in continuing to look at what Christians should not be saying, let's look at Colossians uh, 3, 1 through 8, uh, and then uh, just kind of unpack something that the Apostle Paul says here. Uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, uh, the word says this, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth, for you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly bodies body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. 
On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of dis- disobedience. Verse seven, and in them, you also once walked when you were living in them, but now lay them all aside, wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Abusive speech there is foul speaking, obscene speech, shameful, something that's going to make you or others blush speech. Shameful speaking should be put to death. It should be laid aside. Now, back to Ephesians. Ephesians, um, but on our way back to Ephesians 4, just keep going to chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and take a look at what Paul wrote here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, Mm -hmm. an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, I want to look at verse four. However, I wanted to read it in context as it's needed. We need to see the types of words that Paul lists here and, 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 and how they're viewed by scripture. And subsequently, how the, we have to remember that the writer of scripture himself has laid this out for us. He has laid out for us what kind of words should not even be named among saints. So, so let's unpack this. Paul lists a few different words covering the gamut of, of the types of words that we should not be using. Okay, the first word, filthiness. I like how the NA, the, the, the NASB, the NASB puts this whole phrase. There must be no filthiness is what the New American Standard says. But basically, here's what that's saying. Keep out dishonoring obscenity. Okay, there must not be smut, lewdness, dirty words, vile, impure. Go back to verse three. Immoral, go back to verse three carnal, licentious, depraved words describing debauchery coming from the mouth of any believer. Now, what's sad is that most professing Christians seek to make excuses when it comes to using these words, yet the carnal world will not allow those under a certain age into a movie if it has a strong strong rating because of strong language. Right. <laughs> so let's keep going. Right? Which so, is really weird because some of those movies have children that use strong language as right. actors in them. Exactly. Exactly. Now, next we have Paul using the word morologia in the Greek. Okay. The LSB translates it as foolish talk. The NASB uses silly talk. I like foolish talk as the word in the Greek literally means moronic. You can even hear it. The word used here has its root from the same word, literally meaning moron. According to Strong's dictionary, it could literally be translated as buffoonery. There's a word that we need to use more of. And again, notice the context to which Paul is writing this. Okay. Notice that. And and then he says, you know, the foolish jesting. And, and, and talking about what you would hear from someone lacking wisdom and maturity, i.e. a middle school boy, should not be named among you. So Paul keeps going. Then listen to this. When I, when I, when I unpacked this, I was like, wow. Coarse jesting. 
Okay. So Paul says that there should nor filthiness nor foolish talk or coarse jesting. Coarse jesting in the Greek means someone and you, bro, wait, I want to see the look on your face when I say this. Coarse jesting in the Greek means someone who's very quick witted, which normally is a very good thing. But Paul is specifically referring to someone who is quick witted, but in a vulgar, offensive, lewd, vile, impure, immoral, carnal, tasteless, and crass way. And in the interest of reminding us that there is nothing new under the sun, um, this sort of quick wittedness was celebrated at the time that this letter was written, just like it is today, right? How many times, brother, have you and I seen a certain individual pastor get up there and it's his comedy hour and it, it, and, and it has overtones sometimes and sometimes it's direct course jesting. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. So here's my question. In this passage in Ephesians 5, 4, does this not pretty much run the gamut when it comes to what the scriptures teach as far as the words that must not even be named among you as is proper among saints? What you got, man? Oh, man, it's, it's super clear. <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, and it fits, you know, to a T, you know, just someone we're thinking of. But, yeah. uh, you know, going back to, because I want to, I kind of want to hit the order that you went with Colossians. Go for it. Uh, and, then, and then back to Ephesians 5. So when you read the passage in Colossians, what brought to mind was those people that say, you're so heavenly minded that you're no of no earthly good, right? Meaning your 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 head is so f- fixed on things above, you're not even reaching people down here. Well, my head is supposed to be because that's how I'm supposed to reach the people down that's here. That's right. I'm supposed to bring. I'm supposed to reveal to them the things of the scriptures, the things of the kingdom yep. of God, so that they may come along with me. <laughs> you know. Right. I, I can't be of any earthly good if I'm not heavenly minded. So heavenly minded. But then coming back to uh, uh, Ephesians 5, how are we even to be heavenly minded? As being imitators of God, or, we, or, or let's say imitators of Christ. And how, how are we to imitate Christ? Well, we're to imitate him in two ways, service and sacrifice. Okay. Christ came to serve. And yeah. in his service, he sacrificed everything that he had. Yeah. Uh, he gave himself. So my question to to the person who wants to defend the coarse language, um, the silly talk, the buffoonery, the filthiness uh, yeah. from the man from the man in the pulpit, or even just the everyday day Christian who seeks right. to speak with loose lips, right. Why are they not sacrificing those things of the world? Why are they not putting those things on the cross? Why are they seeking to be like Christian in uh, a pilgrim's progress and carry right. that burden on the back? Oh, right? Because, but because the reality is, and here's my, my really underlying question is, how are you serving by what you're sacrificing? 
Because if you're not actually sacrificing those things of the world that very clearly, as you just read and just laid out, that we're supposed to be giving up, that we're supposed to be putting aside, we're supposed to be putting aside the childish things. And I love how you said that the middle, the the talk of the middle school boy, uh, put those things aside, right? If we're not sacrificing those things, how do you even expect to be of any good? Because all you're then telling people is that it's really okay to to live and speak in sin, yeah, and yet and yet claim to be a, a follower of Christ. Well, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get here a little bit later too. But at that point, you you're you're not salty, right? You, you're, you're salt not. substitute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's it. you're putting on you're putting That's on the it. persona, but then once you once you taste it, you go, eh, that ain't preserving. Yeah, <laughs> that ain't yeah. doing it for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, brother, the reason I wanted to cover verse four specifically and unpack that is to also or, address. Or let me let me say it this way: not only you might not be a salt substitute, but you might be the salt that was trampled on in the dirt, and now you've scooped it back up and tried to put it back on the food. And, uh, you Taste a little bit of that dirt in there. Bro, bro. <laughs> you might be dirty salt. <laughs> dirty salt. Well, and, and, and brother, the reason I wanted to address verse four specifically, and I wanted to unpack it is, is because there are those who would also use the argument, well, scripture doesn't give us a list of bad words we shouldn't be using. I mean, the words then, uh, the word we use today are okay because it was written then it doesn't apply today. And, and, this issue of nuance and excuses being made to justify blatant sin in today's professing evangelical culture, it's not surprising. I mean, yeah. after all, we, we, we never had to be told how to justify our sins and misdeeds, right? Never. We just, that's been ingrained in us since conception. Um, and, and however, as professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should not want to find an excuse to be blatantly disobedient to the living word of God. I'm going to say that again. Mm-hmm. As mm, professing yeah. believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should not want to find an excuse to be blatantly disobedient to the living word of God. We should be wanting to deny ourselves and follow him. Back to Thomas Watson. He said this in his book, uh, The Duty of Self-Denial, quote, in what sense must a Christian deny himself? I answer in general that he must deny that carnal part, which is near to him as himself, that which is the apple of his eye. Period. Close quote. Now, as an aside, I have a few problems with the aforementioned argument uh, as far as the scriptures don't give us a list of bad words because the words we use today are different. Here's my problem with this argument. This argument brings into question the sufficiency of scripture. This is something we have said and will continue saying uh, on this podcast. Um, the battle over the sufficiency of scripture is the battle of our lifetime as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, both personally and corporately. And if the battle over the sufficiency of scripture is lost in the life of any ministry church or in the life of a believer, that person or organization will wither and die. Mm -hmm. The scriptures are clear. Psalm 19, seven through 14 The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. 
The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even much more fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your slave is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Scripture is clear across the board. It's sufficient. Listen, Proverbs 4.24, put away from you a perverse mouth and put devious lips far from you. It's Proverbs 4.24. So what do the scriptures teach concerning the positive side of, of what language, what, what our language should be like? All right. So back to Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. So Paul says such a word as is good, literally meaning pleasant literally meaning pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, upright, honorable, excellent, admirable, alluding back to something I said earlier. And, 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 and you mentioned it too, as far as conscience, our conscience testifies of this, does it not? Mm-hmm. We know when we're yeah. speaking a word that is excellent, when it's, when it's a word that's respectful and distinguished and good. On the contrary, unless our consciences have been seared, which is a scary place to be, We also know when we're speaking a word that is disrespectful, crude, crass, filthy, undistinguished, and not wholesome. To your point earlier, Paul says that we we should speak such a word as is good for building up what is needed, speaking words that are edifying and assist in the growth growth of others uh, more and more to be conformed into the image of Christ. We should be using words, whether in public or private, ouch, that bring him glory and edify and sanctification words that reflect promote and literally build holiness in lives of both the one speaking and the one hearing we all must understand that we will be held accountable for every word we use especially those of us who profess faith as christ or profess christ as lord the only words that must be named among and coming from the mouths of those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are these types of words. In the fourth chapter to Paul's letter to the Colossians, we see the apostle putting it another way in the sixth verse, let your words always be with grace seasoned with salt (laughs) so that you will know how you should answer each person. Let your words, your speech always be with grace. And then you have that expression seasoned with salt, artuo halas in the Greek, meaning literally to make savory and pleasant, to season with prudence. Use words that fertilize and savor with wisdom and grace and holiness and and. We were talking about this earlier, contrary to what some would say today, we aren't to be like the world to reach the world. The believer, according to John 17, has been called out of the world. The believer should be 
by their nature at odds with the world. That's John 15. Dr. Stephen J. Lawson said this in a sermon on February 13th, 2022 at Trinity Bible Church in Dallas, Texas, entitled Death of a Society, Part One. He said this, quote, you and I do not need to blend into the world. The world's going to hell. You and I need to stand out from the world like bright stars on a dark night. We need to be distinct. And if we want to make a difference in the world, we have to be different from the world. The idea that we would become like the world in order to reach the world is fool's gold. It will never happen, period, close quote. Look, brothers and sisters, there's a call and a hallmark of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are to be both salt and light. Our Lord brought some much needed attention to this in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and I love this. Matthew chapter five, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt is being tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Dirty salt. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Dr. Joel Beakey in his book, Puritan Reformed Theology, Historical, Experiential, and Practical Studies for the Whole of Life, in the title, uh, in the chapter entitled Learning from the Puritans on Being Salt and Light, I should just start saying instead of Puritans, prudes. <laughs> he said this, quote, we dare not assume that just because we name the name of Christ, that we are the salt of the earth. It may be that instead of preserving the world, we ourselves are found to be corrupt and worthless. Mm. Period. Close quote. And then Dr. Beaky continued. And then brother, I'll turn it back over to you. He said this quote, perhaps you call yourself a Christian, but you bend and bow as the winds of culture blow. You do not hunger and thirst for righteousness, but long just to fit in. And so you change your colors like a chameleon. Saltiness requires us to obey God no matter what other people may think. The Puritan Matthew Poole said, quote, in our Christian course, we are not to trouble ourselves with what men say of us and do unto us, but only attend to our duty of holiness and an exemplary, exemplary life, period, close quote. Now, earlier we looked at Ephesians 5, 4, where the apostle Paul wrote about foolish talk. Remember the Greek word there, morologia, meaning buffoonery, foolishness? Well, here in Matthew 5, we see our Lord using a similar Greek word to describe salt becoming tasteless. The Greek word is morano, which literally means to become a fool. To be tasteless is to become a fool, to act foolishly, to make foolish, to lose savor. So we need to be using wise words. Words that act as salt and light in the presence of both God and man. What you got? Man? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> those who would make excuses trying to do the nuance thing saying, uh, you know, these words are not the same as, as back then. And so, you know, uh, Nadab and Abihu weren't told not to sacrifice with the fire that they sacrificed and yet they yep. still died. 
Yep. So uh, just we, it's very clear on to how as to how we are to speak. And so if, right. if you're if you're trying to justify not uh, speaking holy or not using certain words or, or to use certain words, then you're no better than Nadab and Abihu offering strange fire to God and, mm-hmm. and thinking that he's going to bless bless you. Um, but, you know, at the same time, look at if there's no big deal with these words, then you should have no problem with your children saying them, right? So why don't you allow your children to speak in such a way? If there's, if the, if, if there's not, you know, if these, these words aren't in scripture and it's not the exact same and, you know, there's, there's, you know, we're trying to make the nuance. Okay. Let your, let your children go around using these words. Now you won't. There probably you know, are some that do. There, there probably are some that do. That's true. But, but by and large, they're not, you know, should, should one of their children say something, something, you know, a curse word in public, I guarantee you they're going to be escorted to the bathroom and have a talking to, or possibly a spanking, right. You know, because they know that's a word you do not say, but then to try to give justification and say, it's okay to say it. Well, now you're just a hypocrite. And not, and you're a hypocrite right, to your child right. as well. Um, Oof, so, right. so it, it, if you're trying to make a defense for it, go ahead and teach these words to your children and let them use it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and there's, so, so now I've heard this about certain words, but we'll just say like the F word. Okay. The, the bad word. Right. Okay. That, that its origin comes from law. It was a law term that was used in court. It was an acronym. Um, however, they don't use it in law anymore because it has been used as a profane word, right? Um, one that is, that is actually frowned upon and looked down. Now that's just what I've heard about it. I haven't looked into it. I could be completely wrong. Lawyers out there. If I'm wrong, let me know. (laughs) You know, that's just, that's just what I've heard about it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, and then moving, moving along into this idea of pragmatism and reaching the world, you know, it's like, it's like the people that say, you know, we got to do church differently because we've got to reach people in our generation. You know, we've got to look like them. We, we, well, okay, l- let me tell you, if, you're, if your whole goal is to get rid of the pulpit, not wear suits, because you want to appeal to to this new generation, okay. You're, if that's your thing, okay, you're thinking too small, okay. You're small minded because you're you're actually you're making arguments. You're a fool. No one, you're making arguments. No one's making, okay. Because right. because look, you may get rid of the actual pulpit, but if you have a table that functions as a pulpit, you have a pulpit, okay. You don't have to wear a suit, okay. Sometimes I don't wear a suit. Uh, I just wear jeans, button-up shirt, or t-shirt, right. whatever. Right. But it's it's not about it's about how you carry yourself. But but let me tell you what I don't want to do is I don't want to come to church looking like I'm a middle school child, right? I want to look like an adult. I want to look like an adult man because I'm an adult man, right? I don't want to look like a child that 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 lives out in the world that hasn't been taught anything. 
Right, okay. Right. Uh, so I'm not going to dress like the world. I'm not going to act like the world. I'm not going to speak like the world. I'm not going to use the music of the world in order to draw in the world so that I can speak to the world in the world's way and pot and hopefully get some gospel in there as well. Well, and I'm and not going to do that. No, no. Bro, I mean, that, that argument, brother, that, that argument right there, it, it just shows what I mentioned earlier. It, that argument, I, I have the same problem with that argument as I have with, well, the words that they used then were different than the words that we use now. And the words that this culture uses are different than the words that this culture uses. I have the same problem with that argument as I do with this one. This just shows that you don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture and right. you don't believe in the sovereignty of Christ. You don't. Well, hold on. You hold don't on, hold on. believe let, the let, word of God. Yeah. Let's go to that argument. Okay. If, if the words aren't the same, okay, then, then what does scubalon mean? And why can't you say it? If the words aren't the same and they don't mean the same, apparently exactly. even then they probably did mean the same. Okay. It did. So, yeah, rubbish. Yeah. yeah. Like, Excrement. Yeah. Dung. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so, so even, even the person who uses that argument, uh, it fails because they don't know the scriptures exactly and they don't know the history they don't know the context they don't know what they're talking about well and along those lines along those lines and i think that's a good segue into into to heading back to colossians 3. um i, I think it's the perfect segue because here's what it comes down to right um and, and we saw we saw in verses five through eight that we're to consider the members of our earthly bodies as dead to sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire greed and we're to kill abusive foul obscene shameful speaking from our mouths instead were to do as follows. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. We are to let the word of Christ dwell, occupy, reside, inhabit our souls. To, why? Why? To be of good use and influence. And, and, and so it influences us for all good things to relating to life and godliness. The word of God should so inhabit the soul of the believer that it's literally, literally coming out of him or her constantly. What you got, man? I saw you. Yeah. Yeah. Look back at, at verse 17 of Colossians 3. Whatever you do in word and or, or That's where I'm do, going next. Yeah. do all in the name, <laughs> in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving yes, thanks through him uh to god the father okay <laughs> my the person who wants to make the justification and argument for being able to use profane and coarse language go out and say those words in the name of jesus there you go, go. do them in yep. the glory of jesus yep. go do that tell me you can do that yep. and not have a and not have a burden on your conscience and if you can that highlights a bigger problem right yeah yeah yeah. So the, the Prince of Preachers, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he put it this way when it comes to uh, uh, letting the word richly dwell within us. And I love this. And, and this is going to be familiar to you, brother, and probably familiar to a lot of our listeners. A little bit of a longer quote, but stick with me. Quote, oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord, not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. 
it is idle merrily to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or historical facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come talk, you come to talk in scriptural language. And your very style is fashioned upon scripture models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with scripture and through his writing writings are charmingly full of poetry yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress that sweetest of all uh, prose poems without continually making us feel and say why this man is a living bible prick him anywhere his blood is bibline the very essence of the bible flows through him he cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved, period, close quote. Now here's a question for all of us. Can that be said of you and I? Does his word inhabit your soul richly, fully, lavishly, thoroughly, and in full measure? Is your blood bibline? The language we use, beloved, is a direct answer to those questions. Back to verse 16. With all wisdom, don't be a moron and you and and feel the need that you you have to use moronic words. But with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Paul sums it up. He sums it up and you you read this verse earlier. This is one of my favorite sentences in the whole of scripture. Brothers and sisters, in public and in private at all times, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. First Peter four, 14 through 16, as obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in, in your ignorance. There's that, there's that theme again, that ignorance and foolishness, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is God's will for his adopted children. First Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to impurity, but in sanctification. Second Corinthians 7, 1, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness and here's the key in the fear of god all of that said to all professing believers in the lord jesus christ myself included in public and in private before god and man watch your mouth what you got bro and then we're going we're going to dig into uh we're going to dig into something a little heavier here in a second but what you got (laughs) okay um you know, you're, that wasn't heavy enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you're referencing John Bunyan. Um, when you reference John Bunyan, immediately another Puritan came to mind, and that was the William prude. Perkins, another prude uh, named William Perkins. And William Perkins is looked at as kind of the father of Puritanism. 
William Perkins was a, he was a drunk. Uh, he was a person who had profane speech. Uh, the thing that really caused him to change was he heard a lady telling his daughter or telling her, a lady, her daughter, <laughs> telling her daughter, <laughs> um, you know, you need to start act acting right or I'll give you to the drunk Perkins. Um, because that's how he was viewed in society as right. a drunkard, a profaner, uh, you know, through his speech and to where he became uh, kind of the father of, of Puritanism as, as we, as we know it. And he's, I mean, yeah. many, many volumes uh, are writ, uh, did William Perkins write, but along those same lines, John Bunyan was the same way. Uh, he was a tinker. Mm -hmm. uh, he, so yeah. kind of like a handyman, uh, but he was also the same way. He was a drunkard. Let, go read what he says about himself in his own autobiography and then read, yeah. uh, read yeah. a biography yeah. about him. Um, he was a vile man as well. Um, but when the word of God, and just like, just like Spurgeon talked about Bunyan, you know, when the word of God gets into you, mm -hmm. into every facet of your being, yeah. there is a change, right? So, so, so yeah, John Bunyan could not write the great work that is the pilgrim's progress if he was continuing to make excuses excuses for the type of language he used that's before right. he came to christ that's right right, he, that's right. It, it just would not land the same no <laughs> no no well I, I love i love what uh what, what spurgeon said you know and then and, and that quote he said you know um uh, but but is blessed to eat uh, into the very soul of the bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and the very and your very your very style is fashioned upon scripture models mm -hmm. Right. Be regulated in all that you do by the word of God, especially in the language that you use. Well, that goes that just goes back to the sufficiency of scripture. Exactly. Right? Because because people don't hold to the sufficiency of scripture. Therefore, no. that scripture is more of a reference book than it is mm -hmm. uh, what we are to be filling our lives and our souls with as right. God's speaking to us. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you said it towards, towards the beginning, we are to be mining the well, right? This, we, this, this is, this is why we, we don't need to go outside of scripture really for anything. Um, nope. we could spend, if we live to be a hundred years old, we, we could spend every day of those hundred years in a hundred lifetimes, and never exhaust no. what this book says. No. Yeah. 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 Because it is so rich and it is so full and the well runs so deep that we could never reach its bottom. Right. Given right. give a right. hundred lifetimes. Right. Yeah. Well, brother, absolutely right. Amen. I mean, uh, to, to, to reference something Stephen Lawson says, you know, I could, I could have 10,000 lifetimes, right. And I would never, mm -hmm. ever exhaust the well uh, that, that is the scriptures. That's a good point, brother. And speaking of that, speaking of that and considering everything we've covered thus far in this episode of matter of theology and keeping all of that in mind, foolish talk, what were the words we should use, the words we shouldn't use. I want to shift my focus a little bit. It was noted Bible commentator, Matthew Henry, that said this in his commentary for Matthew five, he said, quote, a wicked man is the worst of creatures. 
a wicked Christian is the worst of men and a wicked minister is the worst of Christians, period, close quote. Ouch. Second Timothy 3, Oof. 16 and set, right? Yeah, exactly. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is a passage of scripture. You've heard a good bit on matter of theology, but for the sake of reminder, let's look at it together. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay. None of us are above this. We all need teaching, instruction, reproving, reprimand, correction, and being set right. We need training. We need coaching for righteousness. Why? Verse 17, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Next, I want to remind us all that 1 Peter 4 says that the judgment from the Lord starts with the house of God first. So, and this is where my tone is going to change. So for those tone police out there, go ahead and get your sirens ready. In recent years, there has been a noticeable increase of crassness and filthy language that has been brought forth by quote unquote pastors of the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if that weren't frustrating and heartbreaking enough, many are doing so from the pulpit, from the pulpit. It doesn't matter the reason or attempted justification. This should never be the case, ever. Again, everything we've already talked about, brothers and sisters, if your pastor uses any filthiness, filthiness, foolish talk, and or coarse jesting, it's exposing defilement within that is not proper as even being named among saints, much less elders. And therefore, he, that pastor, is no longer above reproach. He should step aside until he has shown consistent evidence of killing that sin, a proven pattern of holiness, righteous speech, and righteous living. That is the only, only proper biblical response, or it's time for you, brethren, to find a new church, period, full stop. Mm-hmm. Is there grace? Regardless... Regardless of, of how much he may or may not have helped absolutely. you with whatever you, a- a- absolutely. you have. His speech is a window and a mirror into his heart. Mm-hmm. We've, we've established that. And that's true for all of us. Now, listen, is there grace? Yes. Is there restoration? Yes. Beloved, these are supposed to be elder qualified men who claim to be under shepherds of Christ's bride. They are those who profess to be heralds of the King of Kings. They've they've been given the call, the holy call to be his holy mouthpiece. They themselves are to be a holy buttress in, in which the living word of God is broadcasted to those in their care and to whom we are supposed to model our faith after. They are not to look and or act like the world and culture in any way. 
they should be modeling the pure fruits of the spirit, not representing the rotten fruit of the world. They should know better. And if they don't, they should not have gotten into the ministry at all. Words matter. The tongue can be a refreshing spring or a raging fire. James chapter three, we referenced it earlier. Do not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the entire body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot wills. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beasts and bird of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a fountain pour forth the same opening fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or a vine tree, vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? That's James 3, 1 through 12. Verse 6. The tongue is a fire, the very world of righteousness. The tongue is set among the members and, and is that which defiles the entire body and is set on fire by hell. And this is written in the context of addressing teachers. There are examples that Drew and I have talked about. We've shared with one another in preparation for this episode. Examples we've heard together sitting in church together. And as much as we want to share them for example's sake, or out of care for our listeners, these are examples that we dare not repeat. What you got, man? Um, let me uh, go back here real quick. Um, <clears throat> just thinking about uh, the minister using using specific types of language from the pulpit. Uh, Christ's bride is to be holy because the bride of Christ is clothed in the pure white linens of Christ's righteousness. Amen. Because she is marked out as Christ's possession yep. that he gave his life for. Yep. Now, when a man ascends to the pulpit and speaks crassly, speaks crudely, speaks vulgarly, uses uh, profane language. What he's doing 
is he is re- attempting to remove Christ's bride as Christ's possession and place it under his possession. Yep. Because now you're saying this is no longer Christ's bride, but this is something I built and this is what I will say and how I will say it in my church. Well, now if if that's what you want to think, you now no longer have Christ's bride. And if you teach these things because the the minister of God, what he says is actually teaching from, from the stage, from the pulpit, from the table, from whatever you want to call it, uh, the lectern, the music stand, whatever. The people in the seats, they receive they what you're saying, they hear what you're saying, they see how you act, and that's teaching them. It's teaching them that they therefore can act in the same way. So which is why Matthew Henry said what he did. That's right. So now when you act in such a way and you speak in such a way, you're doing what Paul Washer says, and you're painting the bride of Christ like a harlot. Yep. The, the, now, now, now the difference is you're not doing it in order to parade her in front of carnal men. You're just taking her for your own possession. Oof. And you're then trying to parade her, her, and, and then, then you end up parading her in front of carnal yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and saying this is the bride of Christ. But if you if you teach the bride of Christ to act in a way that is contrary to the bride of Christ, you don't have the bride of Christ and you actually run the risk of, um, uh, <laughs> careful of the words that I use. Uh, you run the risk of causing people to fall away because you, you cause them to believe something that is a lie and not true and act in a way that is actually contrary to scripture all while saying it's okay um because because the gospel has purchased our ability to do this well i I don't even think you're i mean yes fall away but i would say it's worse than that i think i think what you're what you're doing is is by doing that you're you're giving people a false assurance of their salvation and thinking that, that they can that they can possess faith in christ that they can they can possess uh, uh, the Holy Spirit and, and, and that the effectual call has taken place and that their heart has been regenerate and they, they, they do all these things. They go through the motion, uh, the motions, and then, and then it's a Matthew seven moment, right? Mm-hmm. Tree and yeah. its fruit, right? Good tree right. cannot bear bad yeah. fruit. And then what happens to that, to that bad tree? It's thrown into the fire, Matthew, Matthew seven nineteen. that that's it brother. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that's, that's, that's a good man. That's, whew, that's good. That's convicting, man. I mean, and going back to, to, I mean, Paul, Paul was clear about this to Timothy, right? Mm-hmm. He was, he was crystal clear uh, about how the pastor is to conduct themselves with words. So there are a couple of passages mm-hmm. I want to look at in the pastoral epistles, second Timothy uh, two, 14 through 18. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy says this, remind them of these things, solemnly charging them in the presence of God, not to dispute about words, which is useless and lead to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid godless and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness 
and their word will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have gone astray from the truth, to your point, uh, saying that the resurrection. Well, bro, did he just name names? He sure did. He sure did. He absolutely did. So, so, so let, let, let's dig into this. I know, right? Let, let's dig into this. Verse 15 admonishes Timothy. Paul admonishes Timothy that all who are called to herald God's word are to be diligent. Mm-hmm. They're to labor. They're to exert oneself. They're to endeavor, work hard, make every effort to present yourself approved, tried, accepted by God as a workman, a craftsman, a toiler, one who does work, one who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handling the word of truth. This has multiple applications and implications, right? This applies, this applies to what we teach concerning sound doctrine, but then how we teach it. Sound doctrine should lead to sound words. We, we see the Apostle Paul writing to his child in the faith, Titus, something all pastors and all believers should desire to obey, and that is this. Listen to this, Titus 2, 7 through 8. In all things, show yourself to be a model of good works with purity and doctrine, dignified, verse 8, listen to this, sound in word, which is irreproachable so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Mm-hmm. This goes back to what I said earlier concerning pastors needing to step down if they use the, 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 the type of language that's contrary mm-hmm. to scripture. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, one who, who feels the need to use filthy, crass, worldly, shame-filled language when handling the word of truth has not handled the word of truth rightly and accurately. He should be ashamed as he has not worked with all his might to present himself accepted and tried by God. Step down. Mm-hmm. Verse 16, back to, back to uh, 2 Timothy. But avoid godless and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Avoid. Again, we see this language from Paul. Keep away from godless and empty chatter. Let's take a second. Open this up. What what is the Apostle Paul stating here? Godless. The the NASB translates this word as worldly and empty chatter. Bebelos in the Greek. Unholy. Ungodly. Common. Common. It's also translated as profane in other passages in Paul's letters to Timothy. So here we see Paul commanding pastors and the rest of us to avoid profane and empty chatter, babbling, empty, baseless discussion and words. Why? For it leads to further ungodliness. To your point earlier, it will lead to a further lack of reverence towards God and his commands. It will lead to further works of unrighteousness. And we, I, remember, mm-hmm. I mentioned Matthew 7 earlier, and this is not in my notes, right? It leads to further works of unrighteousness and lawlessness. What did Jesus say? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In his previous letter to Timothy, Paul said something similar. We find it in the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy in, in verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you turning aside from godless and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Mm. 
First Timothy 6 is a wonderful section of scripture that we should all be familiar with, but especially pastors. Guard what has been entrusted to you, and in doing so, aim for and be conformed by godliness, pure righteousness, fight the good fight of faith, keep the commandments of God without stain or reproach, turn aside from godless, profane, worldly, and empty chatter. Brothers, don't do it. Stop doing it. Phil Johnson, back to the same sermon I mentioned earlier, sound doctrine and sound word, said this referring back to what I just read in Titus 2. And I personally could not agree more. Phil said this, quote, your doctrine really isn't pure at all if you yourself are not an example of reverence and dignity. If your manner of speech is lewd and profane, or if your lifestyle is characterized by the same fleshly tendencies that define secular culture, then you are, a not fit, you are not a fit minister of the gospel and you ought to step down. Phil continues, brethren, this is not a complex issue at all. Crass, carnal, crude, gutter language, and fleshly self-indulgent or erotic subject matter should not be the hallmarks of your ministry style. So if you are someone who can fill your conversation or your sermons with filthy words, coarse joking, and carnal subject matter without a single pang of conscience, get out of the ministry, please. The pulpit or lectern or table or whatever you want to call it is a place where God's word is to be proclaimed and God's truth is to be elevated in worship. It's the very last place where everything holy should be dragged into the gutter. Period. Close quote. What you got, bro? You know, I heard uh, James White a couple of years ago say, talking about pastors and preachers who uh, use filthy uh, language that comes out of their mouth. Uh, and he says, that's actually a sign uh, that they are uneducated and it's an ability um, to not think because, because we should be uh, self-conscious of what comes out of our mouth. Absolutely. So, so to fall back upon profanity and things of that nature is to, is to just demonstrate your inability to actually think and carry a conversation because you can't actually formulate words to, 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 to speak, yep. uh, to express your thoughts. Um, <laughs> now kind of, but kind of, kind of shifting gears a little bit, not and getting out of saying, you know, just using profane and filthy language. Let's just, cause you talked about things that are, uh, uh, Paul speaking about things, you know, of, of that are just empty. Um, yeah. You know, when, and this is something we've talked about also the pastor who gets onto the people because they have a conviction about, uh, Halloween, they have a conviction about Christmas. They have a conviction about all these things, you know, and he, and, and the pastor says things like, you know, get over it, you know? Right. Wow. But, but at the same time, I think, you know, okay, someone has a conviction about these, a real conviction, heart conviction about these things. Driven by doctrine, most likely. Driven driven by doctrine, by what they see in the scripture, because you don't just arrive at that place, right? That's right. You, you, That's you right. have to, you don't just think of it off your head. It comes by way of study and what the word says. Yeah. So 
So, so just telling them to get over it, but then never addressing the person who who may celebrate and indulge in Halloween and, and things right. like that, and yeah. never saying, okay, well, maybe I should talk to this person and explain some of the history. Well, the reason you don't do that is because they're touching on something that you want to hold to as well. And it, it, what you're actually doing is... And it always comes from people who who want their people to grow in holiness and grow in God, but yet the person who's bringing up the, their convictions are most likely the person that's most growing in holiness and growing in God. And they're shamed. They're shamed by the and person that should be celebrating that. Right, right. But the reason they're not is because that person wants to hold to those those things as well. They want to hold to those holidays and they don't want their golden caps trampled on. Okay. But at that point, what you have also become is a stumbling block. Bro. That's what you are. You're a stumbling block for people who are continuing to grow in mature faith. That's it, man. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, pastors that may be listening to this, look, look, it doesn't matter whether you're preaching on, on a Lord's Day gathering, preaching at a conference, a Bible study, a podcast, etc. If you've held yourself up as being one who has not only been bought by the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, but one who has said the Lord has called you to herald his message from his word alone, watch your mouth. God hates perverted, filthy, foolish, coarse words. Don't believe me? Proverbs 8.13. The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way. And the mouth of perverted words, I hate. To your point earlier, brother, uh, he wants a pure bride, a chaste bride. Ephesians 5 highlights this for us. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he, that is Christ, might sanctify her, that being the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That is Christ's desire for his church. And to the pastors, the elders, the overseers, the under shepherds, he has given them the weighty call of caring for and guarding the purity of his bride. First Peter 5, 1 through 4, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly according to God and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you, but listen to this, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He will judge what you do, pastor, with, as, with your time as an under-shepherd. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. Pastors, the word of God commands you in the presence of God who gives the bride as a love offering to the son and in the presence of Christ Jesus, who is the bridegroom desiring a pure and chaste bride and who is to judge you, preach the word, not the world. Preach and model repentance, not resounding filth. Preach wisdom, not waste. And if you cannot do that, and if you scoff at what the word of God says, get out of the ministry because you are profaning the name of God and taking his name in vain as he has not called you to truly be an overseer of his bride and he will not stand for it. What you got, bro? Yeah. Um, you are, you're called to be God's herald and God's herald of God's message. Um, you are to <clears throat> proclaim the word uh, to his flock, to his people for their edification and their instruction. Yep. And you are to preach God's word, God's message uh, to the world, not as the world, but to the world so that they may see uh, that there needs to be a change in their life. Uh, there cannot be. Yeah. There cannot be a change in the in the world's life uh, if you speak to them in the language they already use, um, because because then they go well. There's no reason for me to to change things, right? Um, but uh, I'll just keep my closing really really short and really sweet. Uh, in that, it's not manly to use profane language. No, that doesn't that doesn't make you a man. Okay, no. uh, growing growing a beard. Uh, dressing like you're, you know, yeah. And I have a, I have a beard at the moment, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, growing a beard doesn't make you a man, uh, dressing like, you know, you, you wore yesterday's clothes off the floor, um, doesn't make you a man. Um, you know, not even dressing in a suit makes you a man. That's right. Okay. But what does is self-control. Amen. Um, wow. Self yeah, self-control makes that's you good. a man. That's good. And then how you apply God's word in that self-control as you live out your life as God has has instructed you to is the display of not just a man but God's man. Mm. And that's what you want to be. You want to be God's man, not Amen. your man. All right. You don't want to be the man of the world or the man the world sees. You want to be God's man for God's purpose to proclaim God's message to a lost and dying world so that Amen. they may become God's possession as well. Amen. That's part of service and sacrifice. That's right. Being imitators of Christ. Amen. So That's using good, profane language does not make you a man. It's not cute. It's not funny. Um, <laughs> again, referencing the middle school boy who just learned some cuss words and right. is acting cool in front of his friends. Okay. That's, that doesn't make you look grown up or manly. That's okay. Right. What does right. is self-control because I mm. want to be, I want to be the guy that learns from the mature believer, the mature pastor, the mature preacher who can bridle his tongue and say, yeah. 
I don't have to use this language to get this point across. Right. Right. There's a better way to do it. Yep. Okay. Um, Because I then want to display that to my children as I raise them. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So, so how do you be a man? By applying what the word says. Yeah. That's how you be a man. Yeah. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, and, and, um, as far as some of you know, my closing thoughts, this is to all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of us. Um, and, and Drew Drew read this earlier, but I think it, I think it bears reading it back over again. Uh, James, our, the brother of our Lord Jesus, has this admonishment for us. James 1, starting in verse 21. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and gentleness, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls but become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself, he has gone away. He immediately forgot what kind of person he was. Verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious while not bridling his tongue, but deceiving his own heart. Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. If anyone thinks himself to be religious while not bridling his tongue, but deceiving his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Thomas Watson puts it this way in a body of divinity, quote, conform to scripture. Let us lead scripture lives. Oh, that the Bible might be seen printed in our lives. Do what the word commands. Obedience is an excellent way of commenting upon the Bible. Let the word be the sundial by which you set your life. What are we the better for having the scripture if we do not direct all our speeches and actions according to it? What is a carpenter the better for his rule about him if he sticks it at his back and never uses of it for measuring and squaring his work? So what are we the better for the rule of the word if we do not make use of it and regulate our lives by it? How many swerved and deviate, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, how many swerved and deviate from the rule? The word teaches to be sober and temperate, but they are drunk to be chaste and holy, but they are profane. They go quite from the rule. What a dishonor it is to religion for men to leave in contra- live in contradiction to scripture. The word is called a light to our feet. It is not only a light to our eyes to mend our sight, but to our feet to mend our walk. Oh, let us lead Bible conversations, period, close quote. Here's this passage of scripture to pray when, uh, when, or if you're struggling with the language you use. Psalm 141.3, set a guard, O Yahweh, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Brethren, if you struggle with language, watch what goes in. Watch what you let go out. Keep Ephesians 5, 4 and Colossians 3, 1 through 17. 
in your hearts. Meditate on them. Remove temptation. Kill the flesh. Feed the spirit. Seek accountability in this area. Brother, you got anything else, man? Nope. Nope. I think I I said all I need to say. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, we, uh, we appreciate uh, you guys tuning in to this episode of matter of theology and we will see you next time. Good day.